Thanks for joining us today at Launch Point Church in Lebanon, Tennessee. We believe the Bible is the written word of God without error and useful for every part of our lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Thanks again and enjoy today's message from Pastor Jim Kubik. We're going to talk specifically today from 8 through 20. So if you want to turn to chapter 4, I'm going to talk about, I'm going to finish a conversation I started last Wednesday about what it is to be a son of God. We talked about chapter 4 really is Paul explaining what a son of God looks like and how we became sons of God in the first place. And last week, 1 through 7, I'm going to go ahead and read it. Now I say, as long as the heir is a child, he does not differ at all from a slave, although he is owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by the father. So also we, while we were children, were held in bondage under the elemental things, that is the things of the law, the, the rights and passages required by the law, the sacrifices, the elemental things. But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under that law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that he might receive, that we might receive the adoption as sons. So everything Jesus did, his redemptive act, his, his sacrifice, everything that he did and everything that he accomplished from, from the very fullness of time, being birthed as a, to a woman, being nailed to the cross and dying for our redemption is done so that we might have adoption as sons, so that we might be able to call, or God might be able to call us his sons, his family. And so because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. And it's in that relationship, that sealing of the spirit, which we're given when we're saved, that that we come to intimacy with God. This Abba Father is important because it's the same verbiage that Jesus used. And so we get the same intimacy with God. We get to be able to say, hey, Daddy, or Father, God. We get an intimacy that the unbeliever doesn't get the opportunity to be in. The Almighty, Creator God of the universe, determined to set His love on you, not at a surface level, but so intimately and so deeply that he wants you to call him Abba, which is daddy. And so I, I challenged you to spend the week crawling up in the lap of God and just resting in the comfort that his intimacy should give us, the confidence that his intimacy, intimacy should give us, which is a confidence to know that he watches over us, that he protects us, that he provides for us, that he is our strong tower. All the all the things that the Word of God says that He is to us, we should be able to walk in those things with expectation because God isn't a liar. He isn't man that He should lie. He doesn't change. If He told you yes, then it's yes. To the point that we can say, according to the verse, amen, which is, it shall be done. And so, therefore, because of that, because we have intimacy, we are no longer a slave but a son. And if a son, an heir through God with all the rights and privileges of sonship. Today I want to talk to you, and so I, I titled last week's sermon, Sons of God, Part 1, with really only one bullet point, and that was, we are sons of God by the Son of God. 
everything that we are, we are in Christ Jesus. And this week I want to talk to you about the other two things that we are or specifically aren't in regards to being sons. Why do I bother? Why is this important? Why did Paul write it down? This is why I think, or this is why I'm certain, one, he was inspired by the Spirit to do it. But secondly, so many of us walk in shallow water when we don't have to. We can be fully immersed in our relationship with God because we don't understand what God gave us. We can't live up to the potential we can live in, that we don't live as heirs. We don't understand that we can have access to Papa's office whenever we want it. We can walk boldly and confidently into the throne room of grace. And because we don't know these things, because we don't know that we're sons of God and that we're only sons of God through Christ Jesus, we don't know what we've inherited. We've inherited sonship. If you've had children, had grandchildren, you know that there's a place in your life for them that no one else has. And that's the relationship that God wants with you. That's the relationship Jesus Christ died to give us so that we might be sons of God in and by and through the Son of God. Amen? And so everything else is that's the foundational text in this chapter, 1 through 7, one through seven is that you didn't do it on your own. Matter of fact, you couldn't have done it on your own. We talked about all that, that it's by the Spirit that we're saved. It's by the Spirit and the Word that we have faith. It's by the Spirit and the work of Christ Jesus that we have the hope and the promise that we have. And so today I want to continue this conversation starting in verse 8. Sons of God, part 2, if you will. However, at that time, I'm going to read to 20. Then I'm going to kind of backtrack and come back through it. However, at that time, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those which by nature are no gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how is it that you turn back again to the weak and worthless elemental things to which you desire to be enslaved all over again? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that, I, that perhaps I have labored over you in vain. I beg of you. You, you, you hear the, the need in Paul's voice here, the affection in Paul's voice here, his passion. I beg you, brethren, come as I am, for I also have become as you are. You have done me no wrong, but you know that it was because of a bodily illness that I preached the gospel to you the first time. And that which was a trial to you in my bodily condition, you did not despise or loathe, but you received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus himself. And that seems out of context, but I'll explain what that means in just a minute. It's important. Where then is that sense of blessing you had? For I bear your, you witness that if possible, you would have plucked out your eyes and given them to me, so that I become your enemy. So have I become your enemy by telling you the truth? They eagerly seek you, not commendably, but they wish to shut you out so that you will seek them. Mm. But it is good always to be eagerly sought in a commendable manner, and not only when I am present with you. My children, with whom I am again in labor until Christ is formed in you, but I could wish to present with you now and to change my tone, for, perhaps, for I am perplexed about you. That's a lot of that's a lot of verses. 
But there's really two very simple things Paul is trying to say here. The first one is that sons of God are sons, not slaves. Sons of God are sons, not slaves. Verse 8 through 11 explains this, and I'm going to read it again because I want you to grab a hold of it. However, at that time, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those which by nature were no gods. But now you have come to know God, or rather be known by God. How is it that you turn again to the weak and worthless elemental things to which you desire to be enslaved all over again? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that perhaps I have labored over you in vain. And so let's, let's dive in. We were slaves to sin. Paul's saying you were slaves to sin. Your body was a slave to sin. You chased sin. You enjoy sin is an enjoyable thing to the fleshly. That's why people commit it. You know why people commit adultery? You know why people fornicate? You know why people drink until they can't stand up? They do those things because in the flesh they feel good. But let me tell you, they are, you are slaves to that sin because that, that sin will literally enslave you. It will bind you in chains. It will keep you at the will of its master. And it will cause you to change your name. It's interesting to me that the God that we serve calls us son. But you know what the enemy does? He calls us by our sin. He calls us alcoholics. He calls us drunkards. He calls us addicts. He calls us adulterers. The enemy will identify you by your sin to keep you enslaved to your sin. Because if I can cause you to identify with your sin instead of identify with the Christ that saved you, then I can keep you in submission to the sin that you're in. That's good right there. That's not even in my notes. But let me tell you, that's, that's the truth. That's how the enemy gets you. You're all, man, how do, I, how do I break free from this? Realize that you're not a slave anymore. You're a son in Christ Jesus with full rights as an heir of God through the work that Jesus did. Stop saying, I'm an alcoholic. You're not an alcoholic. You're a Christian. Stop saying, I'm an addict. You're not an addict. You're a Christian. Stop saying, well, I cheated on my first wife. You know what? God forgave that. You're no longer an adulterer. You're the son of God because there is no unforgivable sin except for blaspheming of the Holy Spirit. And as much as they want to tell you it is, adultery isn't that. God can forgive that too. God forgives all sin except for blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, which is a whole other thing I'm not going to get into tonight. But let me tell you, if you've ever asked yourself, God, am I okay? You haven't blasphemed the Holy Spirit because the flesh will never ask you a question like that. Amen? Come on, somebody about to get fired up in here. God's good. I just want you to taste the goodness of God. I want you to shuck off the chains that bind. Recognize that you serve a God of freedom. This is Paul's desire. This is why he speaks so passionately. This is why he says, I beg of you. I plead of you. I worry about you. Uh, uh. However, at that time, you did not know God. You were slaves to those which by nature are no gods. What does that mean? That means you were slave to the things you called God in your own life. You were an idolater. And that idolatry puts you in slavery. You're all, I'm not an idolater. I would ask you to ask yourself, what, if anything, have you put over the kingdom of God? 
the pursuit of God and the trust that you have in Christ Jesus? Is it time? Is it money? Is it family? Is it kids? Is it your work? Because if those things weigh more heavily on you than who God created you to be, you have an idol problem in your life. And you have allowed yourself to be resubmitted to the yoke of slavery. Notice I say resubmitted to the yoke of slavery. You can't submit to God and fall from grace. People struggle with that. They're all, I'm, I'm once saved, always saved. You realize Paul's talking to the church. He's talking to the believers in this context of this whole letter. In Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians, Romans, every book that he wrote, he's not talking to the unsaved. You know why? Because we don't talk to the unsaved about spiritual things. We only tell the unsaved gospel. We talk to the saved about spiritual things. And if he keeps telling them, guard yourself, watch yourself, don't drift away, don't do this, don't fall from grace, all of this kind of stuff, how would he tell you that? Why would he tell you that if falling from grace isn't possible in the first place? Why would he talk to you? And I'm not trying to freak you out. Oh, my gosh, am I saved? I talked to you about how to know that you can know last two weeks ago. I'm not trying to freak you out. God holds you tightly. But you still need to pay attention because you'll do like these guys did. Allow someone in, in amongst them. Start talking crazy to them. Because faith is built on hearing. What? Hearing the Word of God. But it's built on whatever you're hearing. Muslims have faith to the point of death that Muhammad or whatever will save them. But they're still going to hell no matter what kind of faith they have. The enemy has faith, but he doesn't have saving faith. So be careful, little ears, what you hear. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. Because the more you see something, the more you hear something, the more you're going to drift from the truth. And when you drift from the truth, this letter becomes our business. Paul says, you've made yourselves slaves again to that which are no gods. And boy, haven't, don't we, I mean, I'm not casting stones. Haven't we all been there? Haven't we all had to go, God, I've done that. I'm sorry. You're not a slave to sin. God didn't create you. God didn't cause Jesus to come here at the fullness of time, be born of a woman, all the things that we talked about last week and is in verses 1 through 7 so that you could still live in your mess. He expects you to crucify the flesh. Take off the old self. Put on the new self. These are truths in the, in the, in the Word of God. Let me, let me prove them to you. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead. Colossians 3, 2 through 7. To immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to what? Idolatry. People think, man, I... I don't have a Buddha statue in my house or I don't worship some idol. You know what Paul's calling an idol here? Immorality is an idol. Impurity, passion, evil desire, greed amounts to idolatry. We have to set that all down. And instead of being a slave to sin, we must be a slave to righteousness. Amen? This is the desire that God has for you. This is the desire that Paul has for you. Remember what a slave is. 
please remember what a slave is. A slave is someone wholly, H-W-H-O-L-L-Y, completely under control of its master. Where before we were wholly under control of the sin we were in, we should be slaves to righteousness, which means wholly, W-H-O-L-L-Y, completely under the influence of our Master, Lord Jesus Christ, according to the Word and in obedience to the Word. Because that's what we're called to. That's where the beauty of salvation lies. That's where freedom happens. Christ died so that we might be free. But you know what's awesome? I got myself all out of breath. We choose this kind of slavery. The Holy Spirit knocks on your door and says, metaphorically, let me in. That's why there has to be a declaration of faith. There has to be a, I declare with my mouth, Jesus Christ is Lord, believing in my heart that God raised him from the dead, and I shall be saved. But you know what? I choose to make that declaration. But God loves us enough to allow us to choose that kind of slavery. If I'm going to be slave to something, let it be Christ Jesus. Whatever it is he expects of me. Whatever he wants from me. Because I love the master. I'm obedient to the master. We see this mirrored beautifully in the book of Deuteronomy. Chapter 15, 12 through 17. We read this. If your kinsman, a Hebrew man or woman, is sold to you, which means someone sells a slave to you, sold to you as a slave, then he shall serve you six years. But in the seventh year, which is the year of Jubilee, you shall set him free. So if someone sold a slave to you as a Jew, you could keep them for six years. You had to let them loose in the seventh year. It's just the way that it was. It's the law that God established. When you set him free, you shall not send him away empty-handed. You shall furnish him liberally from your flock and from your fleshing threshing floor and from your wine vat. You should give to him as the Lord your God has blessed you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you. Therefore, I command you this today. So he's saying, in the seventh year, let them go, but don't let them go without their pockets full. When I freed you from slavery in Egypt, you didn't leave there with empty pockets. The people delivered their goods to you and you walked out of Egypt with all their stuff. So mirror that grace that I had to you to to the people around you. And then he says this, it shall come about if he says to you, that is the slave you're trying to release, I will not go out from you because he loves you and your household since he fares well with you. So if the slave says, I don't want to leave, I love you. Then you shall take an awl, A-W-L, and pierce it through his ear into the door. And he shall be your servant forever. This is your mark. This is your seal that you've given yourself completely to your master. Not out of, not out of obligation, but out of love. You know what? We've been sealed too. We've had our ear awled, if you will. We've been sealed by the Holy Spirit when we determine 
to be slaves to righteousness from a position of the love that we have for the master, not a requirement that we have to love the master. Isn't that beautiful? God could have made you a robot. God could have caused you to never be able to make a decision, but he loved you enough to allow you to make that decision when the Spirit calls you. But then he finishes, Then you shall take an awl and pierce it through his ear in the door, and you shall be his, he shall be your servant forever. Also, you shall do likewise to your maidservant. Just saying, whether it's a man or a woman, it doesn't matter. The slave to righteousness that we are is a chosen submission to slavery because we love the master. And how do we prove that we love our master? Through obedience. Ah, Pastor Jim, you're being legalistic. No, you just can't put something the size of God in you and not expect obedience to leak out of you. People that say, I got saved, but I'm going to do what I want. I've never tasted grace, I promise. I gave my life to the Lord, but he's not going to be Lord of my life. I am. I asked for a Savior. I didn't ask for a Lord. Well, you got neither, if that's what you think, because obedience determines who you belong to. I'm obedient to my wife, the love that we have, the chastity that we share. I, I don't mean like she'd be telling me what to do. I'm just saying. <laughs> but there's an obedience in our relationship. I respect her. She respects me. We walk in unity together because we love one another. That comes from a love, and that is shown through my willingness to do whatever it takes to prove that submission to her, that loving submission to her and her to me. Now, in our individual roles, that looks different. But the act of submission is still true. Amen? It's obedience that proves who we are. John 14, 21, I read this to you all the time. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. You love me, keep my commandments, and I'll love you. My Father will love you, and I'll disclose my God. My Father will disclose himself to you. So you'll be loved by Christ. You'll be loved by God the Father. And he will show himself to you. Every time I read this Bible, man, I've been reading this Bible literally since 2006 for two and a half hours a day. Because I, I, in my own feeble mind, when I first got saved, I thought we started tithing and I thought 10% of my money, God blesses that. What if I gave 10% of my time, which is two and a half hours a day, and you know what? Every time I read it, I see something new in it. I see some way that God's disclosing himself to me. You want, something, you want God to disclose himself to you, to really open your word? I've had people, I've had, I've had a guy, just one, but it was significant to me. He goes, I just want the passion that you have. You know how you get the passion I have? Do what I do. Read your Bible. Let God disclose himself to you. Be obedient. And when you're not obedient, ask in forgiveness, truly repent, and God promises he'll forgive you. Amen? That's good. That's good. All right. So I feel like I beat that horse to death because I'm not even on the next section yet. With all that being said, point two is sons of God are sons by example. Sons of God are sons by example. 
12 through 20. I beg of you, brethren, because become as I am. For I also have become as you are. You have done me no wrong. But you know that it was because of a bodily illness that I preached the gospel to you the first time. And that which was a trial to you in my bodily condition, you did in despite, not despite, despise or loathe, but you received me as an angel of God, as Christ himself. Where then is that sense of blessing you had? For I bear witness that if possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. Why, why does he talk about this? He's, remember, he's defending his ministry. He's telling them, somebody's come in there and lied to you. He's telling them, there was some illness in Paul. We know this because he had a thorn that he asked for God to pray away from him. And apparently it was so noticeable, whatever this thorn was, that the Galatians could have turned their back on him based on his condition. But they didn't. They received him by the Spirit. They loved him so much, in fact, when he ministered to them. Paul says, when we first met, when I first told you the gospel, you fully believed what I was telling you to the degree that if I'd have asked you to pluck out your eye and give it to me, you would have done it. What happened to us? Why did you turn your back on us? This isn't the example I gave you. He said, in the, the very first verse of that text, I be, he says, uh, I beg of you, brother, become as I am. You know what Paul was? Convinced in one thing, that there's no other gospel. He's come back to your, as John puts it in Revelation to the book of Ephesians, or to the letter to Ephesians, come back to your first love. I beg of you. I plead with you. I hear the passion in his voice. Love God. Be like me. Paul said in several instances, he said that he is the, uh, he's, he would follow me as I follow Christ. Man, that's bold talk right there. Follow me as I follow Christ. Paul was so convinced that his life was Christ-like, he said, follow me as I follow Jesus, because if you'll see me, if you'll see what I'm telling you, you'll see Jesus in me. Boy, is that a challenge to us? I want to be able to say, could you follow me as I follow Jesus? You should want that too. But don't, you're not going to get there. You're not going to trust to that degree if you allow people to come in amongst you and convince you that what you had previously isn't true. And so Paul says, I want you to know that you know that you know. It doesn't matter what other people tell you. These people in verses 16 and 17, he says, have I become your enemy by telling you the truth? I am feeling that with every ounce of being fiber in my body. People get mad when you tell them the truth. Y'all ever told somebody the truth that was because you love them and they get fussy about it? We become their enemy for telling them the truth. This is the position Paul finds himself in. And then he says this, they eagerly seek you, not commendably, which means they're not doing it on your benefit or on your behalf, but they wish to shut you out so that you will seek them. So he's saying, I need you to follow me. Don't follow them because all they're trying to do is take your eyes off of the cross and cause you to follow them, not after Jesus. 
So follow me. Be as I am. Sons of God should be able to look at each other and say, we're brothers. We should have, you guys ever look at two brothers and you think, well, you could tell these two kids are brothers. They look alike. That should be us. Doesn't matter what size, shape, height you are. When two people see us walking down the street, they, can say, they should be able to say, those two people are brothers. Be as I am. Don't let them distract you. Don't let them mess you up. Walk in the fullness of who you are. Amen? But that requires something from us. That we be someone worth following. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 4, 15-16. He says, For if you were to have countless tutors in Christ, yet you would not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I became your father through the gospel. Therefore I exhort you, that is, I urge you, be imitators of me. I have, I have a spiritual father in the Lord. That's my pastor. That's the person that told me about Jesus. He's the spiritual grandfather of this house. But God has also placed other fathers in my life. As my pastor friend Greg Ruer said, God has placed up several men around me who held a golden crown over my head and taught me how to grow into it. Isn't that beautiful? But instead, all we want to surround ourselves with is tutors because tutors won't hurt your feelings because they don't love you like a father does. He said, we should be fathers. The church should expect to find gray-haired men and come to them. I, I don't know if you guys noticed, I took a picture of Caleb and Scott up here because I, in them I see the future of our church, the future of the church. And I put it on Facebook on purpose. And I said, the future of the church doesn't rest in the hands of old men, but old men should steward it well. That's our responsibility. You're all, I'm only 20-something years old. You're older than somebody. You're a father to somebody. Somebody's expecting you to hold their crown, stand on the ladder above them and pull them up. So I would wind all this up and say, and don't forget who you are. Don't forget your responsibility to who you are, that you are a son of God, by, in, and through the Son of God. That you are a slave to righteousness. A lot of, not a, you're a son of God, not a slave to sin. And that ultimately you are a son of God by example. So be that example. Amen? This is what Paul says. And it breaks my heart when I hear this. I fear for you. Verse 11. That perhaps I have labored over you in vain. My prayer is that, that those words never have to be uttered out of my mouth. My prayer is that the people that you have influence over, you never have to speak that over their life either. Be who God called us to be, sons of God, knowing that we are who we are, not because of who we are, but who He is. Amen?